The relevant material rarely informs us about the number of fugitives. When people decide to flee, they most often run away individually or in small groups numbering few persons. This is understandable since the escape of one or up to five people may initially have gone unnoticed. In that way, the fugitives bought time and this maximized their chances of succeeding in fleeing and avoiding recapture. There are, of course, exceptions. Asser Bellu Da In reports to Sargon that several hundred people escaped from the providence of Alzi Al Tabi at 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 Bari to enter Alia Ta Sumu in Bit Zamini, where 300 of them were captured. Another mentions 600 fugitives who probably escaped from an enemy country to Assyria. It seems that such high numbers represent the total number of all fugitives of more than one escape within a longer period of time rather than one mass escape. Although this is not verifi verifiable, most individual fugitives were men. However, some letters report that entire families or communities ran away, which indicates that women and children must have participated. Only two letters in the whole corpus deal with flights of lonely women, dated to the reign of Assarhaddon, a report from Bel-Li'i, a Babylonian exorcist, astrologer, and a member of the famous Ejibi family, deals with an unsuccessful flight of a slave woman of the king to Babylonia. The pursuit and capture of runaways was not an easy task. Above all, Fugitives had nothing to lose, and if cornered, they may have been aggressive and dangerous. Among the fugitives, there were deserters and criminals, some of whom were likely to be armed. Furthermore, we can assume that in many cases, fleeing was a premeditated action in which other people were likely to have been involved. Any intrusion beyond the borders of the empire was a challenge for the pursuers who were faced with a new and alien environment. They had to consider that they themselves were intruders and as such they could be exposed to hostilities from indigenous people and they did not necessarily know the terrain and the rights of way or the local customs and languages. Although several documents report on capturing fugitives, only few letters help in reconstructing the makeup uh, and the modus operandi of the pursuing group. The relevant documents pertain 
exclusively to the activities along the northern frontiers of the empire, particularly in Serbria, a fragmentary preserved letter reports on a cavalry detachment, but from its context it is difficult to conclude whether the cavalrymen deserted or simply were missing in action somewhere near the Orarsian border. Since the letter further mentions the land of Abuskia, it seems that the search may have been conducted somewhere in the northeast or east of the Assyrian Triangle. As soon as their flight was discovered, a hunt for the runaways was launched. Mobility was the key to success for the pursuers and the fugitives alike, especially in the regions along the border. As it has already been pointed out, a fugitive from the Assyrian-controlled Upper Tigris region to Serbia or further, further north to Urartu could successfully reach the Serbian capitals Upumu and Kilamari in one day's march. The pursuing group was made up of soldiers commanded by officers whose task was to arrest the fugitives, owing to the fact that the kings of Subria willingly granted asylum to runaways regardless of their social status and criminal record. The soldiers were accompanied by officials. It seems possible that their task was to conduct negotiations with the Subrian authorities in order to make them hand back the fugitives. Trackers Radiu Kipsu were likely to be involved in searching for runaways. The trackers were expected to guide the Assyrian officials on their tracks of the Subrian territory and to follow the runaways. In other case in another case, the person involved in a large scale search for runaways a runaways a was was a mule stable attendant. Some letters revealed the procedures that were taken to discover the whereabouts of missing persons. First of all, the fugitive had to be identified in the official if the officials did not know whether he was hiding within Assyria or whether he had fled to another country. They had no other option but to search and gather additional information. Asser Patinu, a royal official active in Bitzamani, reports to Sargon about a certain Ilika, a mule stable attendant whose servants left him and ran away. The official diligently prepared a detailed list of the fugitives, which included their names and the towns from which they came. 
This kind of information may have been used to compile registers in some ways similar to modern police databases of the fugitives from different provinces, as in the case of the list from the provinces of Simu, Taklak Anna Bell, governor of Not Abina, is involved in the search of a person whose detention is demanded by the king himself. After futile attempts to capture the hiding man in the town of Bar al-Zah, the authorities concentrated their efforts in his homeland and his hometown Mutiani was scoured. His brother living there was captured and interrogated. The Assyrian officials hoped that the fugitive would sooner or later return there or at least would contact his relatives. Kina, a clergyman from named Laguda, expresses his belief to a colleague that a certain Azael a wanted Babylonian will return to his family and assures him that if he returns I shall arrest him and give him to my brother. What is interesting here is the fact that Kina was offered a reward. If you catch him I will give you the equivalence of a horse or a donkey or a sheep undoubtedly rewards encourage the officials to intensify search operations. We can also presume that there were rewards for those who captured fugitives as it is known from the code of Hammurabi. The same way of gathering information about the fugitive by capturing the interrog and interrogating his family members and Ken's people. An unknown author reports to Taglith Pilazar on an escape of Tadi Il, an emissary of Mukin Ziri, to his superior. The author sends a message to Adad Aplu Adina to capture Ayadi Il's people who are in his homeland in Idani. They are to be handed over to the king presumably for further interrogation or probably to be kept as hostages. According to Marduk from Barsippa, who reports to have arrested Nabu Zeru Idina, a citizen of Barsippa, no one who sins against the Lord of Kings escapes, while Esarhaddon boasts that neither he who made the sea has fortress nor he who made the mountain has stronghold escaped my net or succeeded in escaping. Such statements seem not always to be rooted in evidence and reality but were mere 
more a wishful thinking of the Assyrian kings. An escape of a high-ranking official or a disloyal vassal may have been regarded as a sin, an act of treason, and those who fled to a hostile country committed a grave crime against the gods. Such offenses against the state could not be forgiven or go unpunished, especially if one bears in mind that the Assyrian king was responsible for maintaining order within the land of Asher. Some letters reveal that the captured were passed on to the king, who was likely to mete out a fit and proper punishment. It seems that the king was involved only in the cases concerning the fugitives of higher social status. On the other hand, the correspondence between the ruler and the provincial administration deals with such a great diversity of cases, sometimes quite trivial, that we can presume that the king may have been kept informed by his subordinates in detail about the runaways. Let us now have a closer look at the legal procedures against the captured runaways. The letters do not contain any information about the penalty system. Not a single letter reports how the captured runaways were treated. We can only speculate that we can only speculate what types of punishments the rulers the ruler could use against them since no Neo-Assyrian law code has been preserved. Therefore, the only way is to cautiously assume that the treatment of fugitives in the Neo-Assyrian Empire did not differ much from the earlier periods in Mesopotamian history. Such an approach, however, is risky due to some unsolved basic problems. First, the older codes reflect an incomparable difference socio-political environment. Secondly, they deal only with fugitives who were slaves and whose legal status was quite different from the members of other social strata. Further, as Snell has pointed out, the previous legislators primarily concentrate on punishing those who lent a helping hand to slave fugitives. The Code of Hammurabi in circa 1750 BCE contains the severest penalties for the accomplices. He who helped a runaway slave to escape is punished by death. Also, he who later gave him shelter was punished with death. Paragraph 19 is different.